Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Welcome to the Secret to Success Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Today, I have our guest with us, Ms. Claire Chandler. Now, I'm not going to give details. I'm going to let Ms. Claire tell us all about her. So, Ms. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. So, if you wouldn't mind letting our audience know who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, Happy to do that. So my name is Claire Chandler. Uh, After spending many, many years in corporate America, uh, I struck out on my own in 2011 as a consultant. Um, And two years later in 2013, I founded my company called Talent Boost. I specialize in working with leaders of ambitious organizations that are trying to grow 
but are running up against various growing pains. And I show them a better way to lead and to align their organization so that they can scale much more painlessly. All right. So being in the corporate America and coming out of that, what inspired you to start your company? Oh, goodness. Uh, how, how much time do you have? It's, it's a bit of a story, but, I, but I'm happy to tell it. So um, <laughs> like I said, I, 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 uh, I left corporate in 2011, and it was, not, uh, it was not a spur of the moment decision, but it, was a, it happened in a year that was um, pretty life-altering for me. So in the beginning of 2011, I was um, on a, a pretty fast track. Um, along an executive track. So I was being groomed for uh, an executive role in human resources, and I was a, a vice president at the time. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, I was, I was learning a lot, but I was also traveling a great deal and, and just moving 150 miles an hour. And it was one of those things where I wasn't sure if the track I was on was really where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go in my career. But I was traveling too much and working too hard and moving too fast to really give voice to that question. Um, until one day in the spring of 2011 that after having some uh, curious kind of health issues, I had some tests done and I was diagnosed with cancer. And so, you know, that sort of brought my world to a screeching halt. Uh, I had to go from, you know, a lot of travel and moving 150 miles an hour to literally taking a month off of work to have surgery, to recover, um, you know, to rest and to recuperate. And it was during that time that I really embraced uh, the, the quiet and I embraced the opportunity to kind of reflect on where I was at that point in my life. You know, you get a cancer diagnosis and you, you, it, it immediately divides your, your world and your life into before and after. And so, you know, I, I kind of went through all of the life is too short, um, you know, that kind of thing and, and finally allowed myself to, to give voice to that nagging question, was I doing what I was passionate about? And in the quiet, I finally had to come to terms with the answer, and the answer was no. <clears throat> and so, you know, I spent, um, you know, that month not just recovering physically, but really getting stronger mentally and emotionally and, and kind of exploring, okay, if this is not the track I want to be on, what do I want to do? Um, you know, how do I want to change my life? How do I want to change my career trajectory? And I knew certain things that I did not want to do. Um, I didn't have a crystal clear vision of um, specifically the niche that I wanted to go into, but I just knew that the corporate track um, was not going to get me there. So I came back to work. Um, I had a heart-to-heart a, a -heart with my employer. I had been with the company for close to 15 years, um, and they were super supportive. And I just sort of took that leap. Um, I stayed until the fall, and, uh, you know, I, I went out on my own um, in uh, October of, of 2011 and just sort of, uh, you know, without a real plan and without a real, um, you know, firm grip on, uh, like I said, my vision for the future. But, you know, that 
that whole experience of going through cancer, surviving cancer, and beating cancer, um, you know, really was an experience that I wouldn't want to relive, but I wouldn't have traded for anything. Wow. That is the first time I've ever heard someone say that before. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, yeah. no, I don't want to experience it, but I wouldn't try to. You, you hear people speak their, their truths in their lives, and they say, yeah, you know, that's not something I would want to experience again, but, you know, I wouldn't change it. But in that in the case of having getting that diagnosis, going through that that process i've never heard anyone say that and there's something you said in the process of doing that you said you embraced the quiet how important was embracing the quiet not only for your recovery but for your decision to move move from where you were to where you are today oh that is such an awesome question and it's such an important question because we all get so caught up in the noise of busyness, right? I mean, we're so conditioned and we're so trained to always be moving, always be productive, um, feeling guilty if, you know, when you're, when you're in the corporate space, you, you're given vacation time, but you're almost made to feel guilty if you ever use it. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're trained that way, we're conditioned that way that um, slowing down or coming to a complete stop or having holes in your calendar where you're not, um, you know, visibly booked on doing anything productive, um, you know, are, are all sort of viewed as, as things to stay away from. And, you know, I do a lot of work with, with leaders, obviously, and it's, the, it's one of the biggest um, it's one of the biggest obstacles that I know, you know, that I kind of discovered through that, that period of self-reflection, kind of looking back at, you know, my, my trajectory in corporate, um, that a lot of leaders fall into. It's you have to find ways and make time for quiet reflection. You cannot lead a, lead a business, grow as a person, um, build a following of, of, of loyal employees and people that are going to, you know, buy into your vision for the success of the company if you don't spend adequate time really reflecting on, um, you know, who you are as a person, what you want the business to be, you know, it, it, regardless of the size of the company, it is an amplification of its leaders, whether it's a small startup company that is the, you know, the, the, the physical expression of its founder's personality um, or a larger company that, um, you know, the, the, the culture is sort of shaped by the senior leadership. If you, don't, um, if you don't spend, intentionally spend time in quiet reflection, um, I know for me that was that was forced upon me, right? The, the the cancer diagnosis, the you have no choice but to take a month off of work and deal with this. This is not something you can put off. Um, for me, it was a forced reflection, but it was so valuable, you know, to, to the point of your question. I mean, it's it is so valuable to recognize when and how and why you should pivot. Um, and it's those pivot points, those transitional points in your life, in your career, in your business, 
um, in the way that you lead and in the way that you contribute to um, you know, the mission of, of your leaders um, that is so, so critical. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope that our audience, ladies and gentlemen, that you are taking notes. Embracing the quiet is very critical, especially when it comes to, I like how you put that, to the pivot in your life. Because yeah. there are several times in life where you pivot and, and your pivot led you to create an amazing company that literally, um, can you tell us about your pivot to the whirlpool effect? Mm. I, I I like I like that. I actually <laughs> I like I like that I I like that title, the whirlpool effect. Can you can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. Um so you know, a lot of a, a lot of leaders, so you know, I just said a few moments ago that a lot of leaders kind of run up against this this challenge of not making time for quiet reflection. The other thing that happens with leaders is they quickly get disillusioned. So they you know, they if they were um, intentionally aspiring to become leaders, what often happens is once they get into that leadership role, it's not as fun as they thought it would be. Um, you know, and, and as we get older, that's the other thing that, that is sort of frowned upon in business. And I was always kind of a, a square peg in a round hole, you know, in, in corporate because <laughs> I have a quirky personality. Uh, you know, I've, I've had, you know, corporate uh, colleagues and bosses tell me, um, you know, that I'm a bit goofy or, you know, I had, I had somebody one time tell me I had to tone down my walk because it was too bouncy and happy. Um, you know, and of course I, I didn't do that. I just did it, did it even more. But, um, you know, <laughs> there's, there's this, this point when we become, you know, further removed from, from childhood, um, and mm. our, you know, our childlike selves, which never actually go away. They're still inside us. Um, and so, you know, I always try to find something fun in work. And leaders are kind of, you know, again, conditioned and trained not to look like they're having fun. And so, you know, you get to this leadership role and you think it's going to be, um, you know, the, the, the trappings of leadership and everyone's going to be enthusiastic and get right behind me because, you know, I work really hard and I'm a really good person. And what they find is, you know, they do get disillusioned that leadership is just not fun. So I, I, you know, again, kind of spent some time in quiet reflection, and I thought, well, why is that, and why can't it be more fun? And I, you know, I, I got on this this image of the whirlpool effect because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, um, we had, you know, very hot summers. I'm here in New Jersey, grew, you know, born and raised in New Jersey. I, I run my business in New Jersey. And when I was a kid and we had very hot, humid summers, the most popular kid on the block was the kid with the swimming pool in their backyard. And so we, you know, we would congregate in, in that swimming pool. And invariably what would happen was at some point, you know, all the neighborhood kids would come together, and at some point while we're in the pool, somebody would say, whirlpool. And we all instantly knew what that meant. It meant that whatever we were doing, we would stop, and we would just start moving in a circle a couple of laps until it created this whirlpool effect where we could literally lift up our feet and just be, you know, carried along with that, with that flow. 
Wow. And so I thought about that, and I said, I, so, so did that ever happen to you? Like when you were a kid, was that like was was world making a whirlpool like a thing? No, it wasn't. And when you, I'm sitting here like that would have been really fun. <laughs> it was so fun. It was just so so fun. And it was, you know, like you look today at like people, you know, you can't get some kids out of the house. You know, they're on their their video games or they're or they're texting with their friends. It's like come out to the pool. Like this is where like it's. You know, it's fun and it's low tech. And But anyway, so I, you know, I, I... Did you know that most great jobs are filled by backdoor introductions? Many of them are filled before the position is even publicly announced. Rumit Sethi, best-selling author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, has spent the last 10 years teaching thousands of people how to find and win these dream jobs. And he can show you too. Have you ever wondered how do you find unannounced jobs before they ever go public? How does recruiting work at top companies like Google? And how can you use those strategies in your job search? Now you can craft a career tailored just for you because the best careers are intentional and the best job searches follow a system. This used to be hidden behind closed doors until now. Ramit said he will teach you some counterintuitive lessons he learned from teaching people how to find great jobs for over 10 plus years. How many people are underpaid, often by $10,000. How the job market has changed, and lots more jobs going remote. This gives you more options, but it also means you have to compete with a lot more people. And that there are three seasons for jobs, growth, lifestyle, and reinvention. Some things haven't changed. It's hard to find out how the most successful careers are actually built unless you have an inside scoop. Find Your Dream Job is Remit's program that teaches people how to find and land the job of their dreams, as well as negotiate for more pay and great perks like remote work. Proven over 10 years with thousands of students, Find Your Dream Job is a comprehensive system that works no matter what your career goals are. Want to make more money, change industries, work from home, get a promotion, or improve your work-life balance? Find Your Dream Job will show you exactly how to do it. Sign up for more information at IWT.com slash podcast DJ. Again, that's IWT.com slash podcast DJ. had that childhood memory and it brought back such, you know, such fond times that I couldn't stop smiling. And I thought, that's what leadership is supposed to look like. As a leader, you're supposed to be able to say a word or a phrase or a vision or a mission like Whirlpool. Um, you know, obviously not that word, but but get that same reaction as mm-hmm. if everybody around you knows exactly what you mean and exactly how they contribute to that mission and, and you know, and, and what their uh, individual role is in achieving that effect. Um, and so that's what I wrote the book about was this was this concept that, you know, whirlpool leadership, um, it, it, forget about the word charismatic. A lot of leaders think, well, only charismatic leaders can get that sort of effect. And they stop trying. And the truth is, you don't have to be charismatic. You just need to be very um, focused and very clear on what your mission is and help your employees see the visible link between what they do, you know, what they offer, what their strengths and talents are, and how that's going to contribute to, you know, to moving the needle toward achieving your mission. 
And if more leaders could, um, could do that, they would reconnect with the fun side of leadership because it's easier to lead people, um, you know, who all row in the same direction because they understand what they're contributing to. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm... <laughs> When I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, that is awesome. I'm, I'm definitely going to ask her if she can um, if, if she can expound on this. And then the first thing that comes up on your website is if you really want your leaders to collaborate effectively, why do you incentivize them to achieve individual targets? Oh, and now, yeah. that you've ex- <laughs> now that you've explained the whirlpool effect, I now understand this. And so can you – for for us as leaders, as as leaders, as CEOs, as those who are going into business for their own, can you go into detail and, and help us understand the importance of creating that work environment that that helps all of our employees, all of our team members, not just, you know, our leaders, but also our team, those those that our leaders lead to be one, to be a unit, to do that whirlpool effect and be one cohesive unit. Can you elaborate on us with that and, and help our audience understand as well? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, as you could tell from my from my website, it is a it is a huge pet peeve of mine um, that you know companies over time um, devolve, not evolve, but they devolve into this more siloed uh, mode of mode of operating. And and no one mm-hmm. creates a business with that intent, right? No one starts a business and says, well, you know, starting tomorrow, so we're opening the doors today and starting tomorrow, finance will only look at finance and will only cooperate with finance and operations will only do their thing and human resources will only do theirs, et cetera. Um, it happens over time. And every CEO I have um, worked with, you know, w- when we first start to, to kind of talk about what are your pain points and what are the problems, Invariably, they they raise that as a complaint. They say, "I just can't get my folks from the senior leadership on down to work together to collaborate." And I always say to them, "I say, well, you know, it, it's it's great that you want that, and it's great that you expect that, but how are you assigning goals, and how are you incentivizing people to reach their goals?" And I always get that sort of, you know, if it's on the phone, there's dead silence. Or if they're, they're sitting in person, it's the deer in the headlights look. Because, you know, they realize that they're incentivizing, uh, you know, their whole reward system and their whole culture is based on reaching individual targets, whether it's individual to a division, to a team, to a location, et cetera. And it, that, that's great if you just want to make really, really solid silos but you're never going to grow, not the right way. You're not going to sustain. You're going to lose market share to your competitors. Um, you know, and, and you wonder why this, this mentality of us versus them happens. Mm. And it's not us versus the outside competitor. It's us in sales versus them in operations. It's us in New Jersey versus them in Texas. It's Right, so it's all of this internal competition that is not serving the, the the common good of the company, 
And so the way you get around that, and, and so, you know, I say that to, to CEOs, and the first thing, you know, if, if the HR leader is in the room, they're trying to, to make themselves as small as possible because they think what I'm saying is you've got to revamp your entire compensation system. And you, you don't have to start there, nor should you. What you really need to do is get people in the same room and, you know, not – I talk to so many companies where the only time they bring the executive leadership around the same table is their monthly meeting where they just, you know, go around the table and give a progress report. And so all that does is update each, you know, the other silos on what their silo is doing. And everybody else tunes out because they don't think it impacts them. Well, it does because the longer you operate in silos, the, you know, the thicker those walls get. Um, mm-hmm. And so the way that you conquer that is not to blow up your compensation system. It's not to, you know, fire everybody and start over. It's to give them, one, a common mission to achieve and two, a common enemy to defeat. And so, you know, we, we are inherently competitive as, as human beings, right? Whether you're a sports person or not, we are all innately competitive. It's our survival instinct. So channel that competitive nature toward teaming up together to achieve a mission and to conquer, you know, your, your closest competitor, an inefficiency that you've got in the company, um, you know, a process that just doesn't work, um, you know, a, 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 a metric that is just absolutely stymieing you, like increasing customer complaints or quality defects or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but that's how you conquer silos. You bring people back together and you remind them that we are here for a common purpose. And if the people around the room don't know what that common purpose is, then you've got to start, you know, even a couple of steps earlier and rebuild what that mission is all about. I really love when you said it. Come together for the common mission to defeat a common enemy because we don't think that way. Like you said, we're all in our yeah. own silos and we're like, no, we have to we have to be better than this department or this is our department. We do this. No one can do what we do. And That's one exactly of the things right. <laughs> and one of the things that I've learned with um, Antonio is he there is no while yes you are the head of this department and this department there is no individuality we are all one team so here is the team goal here right. is what we're doing right. as a team you know and then it's it's just like marketing over their sales over there there will be no income flow if the marketing department doesn't listen to what the sales department is saying. Because the sales department is the one that's belly to belly with the customers. That's and right. if the marketing, if the marketing department isn't listening to the sales department, the marketing department is going. The marketing department is going to miss it every single time, and there will be no fresh leads coming in because you're marketing to the wrong people because you're not listening to the sales department. So, I really, I, I really love how you put that for us, and and it leads me to my next question. You, you say that you've you were actually being trained to become an executive in the HR department. What, what, you told us what inspired you to start your company, but what inspired you to go as far as let me go in here and help these executives? Like what, where did that passion come from? Mm, Love it. Um, So, 
one of my very good friends and close colleagues back in my in my corporate role, um, you know, said to me one day, she said, you know what? She goes, you don't really, and she kind of recognized it before I did. She said, you don't really aspire to the executive chair. And I said, I'm curious why you, why you observed that. And she said, because you're a kingmaker. She said, you're the person who is the, you know, the behind the scenes, the voice in their ear about, you know, how they should lead better, communicate more effectively, et cetera. And it was such an interesting observation. And I hadn't, um, I hadn't recognized it because, you know, when you're, when you're in your own forest, you don't always see that, right? So it kind of takes somebody mm-hmm. else who, who knows you well and kind of sees you in that element, um, you know, to, to sort of say, you know, this is where you shine or this is, this is where you light up. Um, and so, you know, that kind of resonated with me. And, and then the other thing was when I, when I did leave, um, you know, I, I uh, it was, it was easier for me, and I'm sure you could relate to this. It's easier to tell certain people in an organization you you know you've been with for 15 years that you're leaving, and it's of course hard. You know, there are certain people that you want to tell personally um, because mm-hmm. they've made an impact on your life or you know your career or what have you, and it's harder to bring yourself to tell them, you know, this is what I feel I have to do, and I'm you know we're going to part ways kind of thing. Um, and so one of the people that I um, you know, how to bring myself to tell that this was my decision. Um, uh, it, it's this wonderful woman that I worked alongside for most of the, of the 15 years I was there. Um, and within the last year, she was just named the, the CEO um, of the company, um, the first female CEO they've ever had. I was like, so I was like, you know, cheer dancing Aww. and fist pumping when I heard that she was being named. She's just <laughs> She's just good people, right? And and I just um, mm-hmm. I've always seen her as a mentor. And um, so when I told her I was I was leaving, she said, you know, um, you know, she she didn't want me to go. She tried to talk me out of it. And then when she saw that you know I was kind of resolute and this is what I wanted to do, she said, um, you know, whatever it is you do, end up focusing on, um, you know, keep doing the the you know at least part of what you do. Um, you know, do in front of audiences. Because I was doing a lot of, um, uh, before I moved into my last role, which was kind of soup to nuts, full cycle HR management, I was doing training and development and, and a lot of uh, executive coaching and public speaking, et cetera. And she said, Claire, when you're in front of an audience, she said, there is this glow about you and it's so clear that you are in your zone and you are in your element. And and that I always felt, right? It was just one of those things where when I was younger, I was like most people, like I feared public speaking. No way you're going to you know, get me to, to stand up and, and ask a question in a big room, let alone be on the stage. And now that's my adrenaline rush. Um, and so I took those kind of two pieces of, of you know, observations of people um, that happened you know, several years apart from each other. And kind of internalized them, and I said, you know, this is this is something I want to continue to do. So, you know, in that corporate role, um, I, you know, I was fortunate to have direct access to the C-suite, and you know, kind of be an informal coach to several of them. Um, you know, and and also in my in my role, I was you know in charge of the, the people strategy for the business and the talent pipeline, and how are we going to bring up the next. Uh, generation of leaders, et cetera. When I went out on my own, 
Um, and I was still trying to find my way. So between 2011, when I, you know, started uh, my, my sort of entrepreneurial uh, venture, and 2013, when I formed my company, um, I ended up kind of getting into a niche where I was helping smaller um, startups, mom and pop companies, um, and other companies that were kind of small but growing, um, you know, help them put in more um, infrastructure from a people perspective. So if they started small, you know, they were kind of making the rules as they went, and they didn't really have standard processes or philosophies about who they hired, how they hired, you know, how they sort of onboarded, et cetera. And so what I kind of um, evolved over time was because they were very small companies, and they didn't have any, um, you know, internal HR leadership. I had direct access to the founders, to the presidents, to the, you know, to the partners, whatever they were, um, and found that this was really a, a missing piece for them. Um, you know, having that sort of uh, emotionally detached, um, you know, invested in their success, but somebody who's emotionally removed from the day-to-day -day drama. And somebody who could, you know, be that voice in their ear that I had been in my corporate role. Um, and so I, you know, I loved the, the you know, the, those two things. So kind of, you know, fast forwarding to when I established my company and, and has further evolved it to, to the present day, um, those really are my passions. It's, you know, being able to work alongside the, the senior most leader and then their team. Um, you know, to, to sort of help them bring their mission and their vision to life and align their leadership and their people around that, um, and also bring large groups together and, you know, kind of facilitate for them some breakthroughs. Because, you know, I don't, I don't come in there, I don't have a PhD in, in neuroscience or any of that. Like, I'm not giving them any sort of, you know, breakthrough technology that I've invented. What I'm doing is getting them out of their own way and bringing from them, right, from, from inside of them, um, what, what makes their company um, great, what makes it unique, what's sort of that unique DNA that they have lost sight of because of this, you know, the, the silo building and the, you know, the us versus them kind of internal uh, competition. So well, kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but, but that's kind of how I, you know, I took those of what I was passionate about in my corporate days and really kind of, um, you know, wove those into my, you know, what, what my niche specialties are. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much because that, that it was not long-winded at all. It was perfect because it I lets did. us know. <laughs> it lets us know, you know, it's, it, First off, you can hear the passion when you're talking about it. And when you made the comment, you know, I didn't, I'm not, I didn't go into like neurology or anything like that or neuroscience. What you did was you literally just brought out the child, like the, the, the thought process of the child. Children are so simple. They just want to have fun and enjoy. But most importantly, you always see them work together. Yeah. That's right. No matter what they're doing, they could be mad at each other one minute, but right back <laughs> together the next. Yep. And yep. I'm listening to you talk about everything, and then when you broke down the whirlpool effect, I'm like, she's literally, she's literally just living 
she's letting her child run free and she's teaching others, don't let the child die. Like, bring that to your business because that's what's going to build the environment and the culture of your company to where people will want to be there. Yeah. I I love that you just made that observation because I hadn't, even though, you know, the whirlpool effect was obviously a, you know, a, a conjuring of this really fond childhood memory, I hadn't really seen it as bringing out the child from within the leader um, in, in, in such an articulate way as you just eloquently said it. So thank you for saying that because it was such a, that's such a keen observation. I love it. You're very welcome. Miss Claire, I've, I've really, the more I get into business, my Antonio teases me all the time because he tells people, <laughs> and he, he, and he tell he said, in no disrespect to to her, she is still a child, because my, mm. I, my life is my imagination, my, my business is all imagination, you know. He always tells me, okay, yeah. look, I need your, I need your gift on this. You know, I have the gift of futuristic ideation, so. He'll say, okay, so what does this look like to you? And I'm sitting here, and I close my eyes, and I think, and I think, and I just I go with it. And as a kid, I've always been that that kid. And so the more I'm learning as I grow, the more I'm realizing you don't let the kid die. You actually let the kid, you bring out the kid even more when it comes to business. And that's why I love this world. I really love this whirlpool effect. <laughs> I'm going to have to send you a copy of the book then. Because <laughs> I, I, I promise you the the concept itself, I'm sitting here and I'm like, so how many people can I get to go into the pool? <laughs> it's better with a round pool. A, a, a rectangular pool, it's a little bit harder. It just takes a couple more laps. So if you're if you've got the option, go with a round pool. A lot easier, but it's, it. it really it is truly a lot of fun. It really is. <laughs> and and then to take that same concept and like, okay, as an adult, how do I apply? This? And you can apply it in more than just business. How do I apply this whirlpool effect in my household? How can yeah. I have all of us in our household go in the same direction to create this whirlpool within our home? How can I help create a whirlpool within my community. How can I help create a whirlpool, you know, amongst my friends? And the concept itself is wonderful. And the wonderful thing I love about having a child's mind is we take, children take the most, children take what adults think are the most out of this world, hardest concepts, and they symbolize. They 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 make yep. it so simplistic. <laughs> And yep. when I think about the whirlpool effect, that's what I think. I'm like, all this stuff that we make hard in business, uh, if we just yep. create a whirlpool and involve everybody in it, <laughs> it'll flow in one direction smoothly, and eventually we'll be able to just pick up our feet and just go with the flow. That's right. But, you know, there's and there's a reason that seeing the pure joy, and that's in fact what it is, the pure joy on a child's face, or, you know, I often say the, the best sound in the world is a, is a baby or a child laughing. Um, the, the reason those are things that um, even the crustiest old leader who's, you know, never <laughs> smiles at his people, 
finds themselves, you know, smiling along with that is because, and you just said it, that the child in us never died. There, you know, we didn't grow out of that. We just kind of forgot that they're still there. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the same concept as when people say they're in a zone. Um, so I often ask people, you know, when was the last time you were so engrossed and you said, you, you know, you, your business is kind of imagination, so I'm sure this happens to you a lot. <laughs> but, you know, when was the last time you got so engrossed in what you were doing because you were, I don't know, creating something or writing something or doing whatever it was that you lost such track of time that the next time you looked up, it was dark outside or three hours had gone by, right? And so a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about that in terms of, oh, well, I was, in the, I was in the zone. What you were doing was you were channeling that childlike self of yours. And as a very good friend and business mentor of mine puts it, you were playing with your crayons. And, you know, that's, that's part of what um, he talks about all the time is, you know, you, you, you want to get to a point where, you know, you do what you're passionate about, you do what you're great at, but that lets you play with your crayons as much as possible. I mean, what, you know, I, why do you think there are uh, coloring books now that are marketed toward adults? Because we love the simplistic joy of crayons, of coloring. Okay, right? Don't laugh at me, but I have a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, of course you, I do too. Oh, let me tell you something. I I saw it as a as a pinnacle of my success that I splurged on the big box of Crayolas with the built-in crayon sharpener because when I was a kid, money was tight and we could never afford more than the 16 crayon box. And I always got the broken ones because I had an older brother, so I inherited his crayons. So it was like a huge thing for me to bought to treat myself when I bought a you know a coloring book for adults and I got I got the big box with the with the sharpener in it. Okay, I thought I was the only one. Heck no! Thank you. No. Thank you. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted the big box, but I I I had the younger brother, so of course everything I had I shared. So I'm like I don't want that. <laughs> and right, you okay. never got it back because if you got it back, it was sticky or chewed on or broken or broken or either i am determined to be rich the middle class is not for me i need news that cares about me and not news that's gonna scare me or make me mad at another people i need news without politics and i want news that will point me to the money this is the news where it happens the moments that change the world these are the stories we need the info that we care about. We only give you news that puts money in your pocket. And the news that gives us an advantage. This is the work that continues. Who we are today. And what we can become. Tomorrow. That's it. This is where news without agendas can lead us. Your wealth matters. This is why more perspectives make us stronger. And how our mission inspire tomorrow this is journalism that helps the world we live in this is mexit news either we had to get the salmon because he was too young he couldn't get the the or i couldn't take it to school so no you can't take that to school but i still want that like i want I, and now they have the the big one that has the the colors that they're in a circle because there's so many of them and then there's so many that 
I thought it was. Like I know. Player, See? Okay. So you, so you're like in that zone, right? I mean, because we're, it is, I don't know anybody of any age who, if you, you know, you have to put a child next to them so that they don't feel silly to themselves. You put them in front of a, you know, a piece of paper or a coloring book with crayons and you say, could you keep this child busy and color with them? That any adult is not going to enjoy that. Right? I mean, come on. We've got to just be honest with ourselves. But that, you know, and, and but just kind of bringing it back, I mean, that, that is what really successful people have figured out is how to bring out the childlike pure joy because they are doing what they, uh, you know, w- what is in their genius zone, right? What, they, what, what brings mm-hmm. them joy to bring out because they are naturally good at it. They feel good when they're, you know, when they're, when they're doing that thing. Um, and, you know, it, it does extend to leadership. And leaders, you know, where leaders kind of trip themselves up around all of this is they tell themselves, well, I'm a leader, so I have to act like a leader. Well, what does that mean? You're not an actor. You're a leader. And if, you're, if you think that leadership is a role that you have to play, then you know, you're seeing it as a facade. You're seeing it as some sort of a costume that you have to put on. The more authentic you are, you know, whether that is goofy, whether you have a quirky sense of humor, um, the, the best CEO I ever worked for told, you know, a lot of jokes that were, um, you know, not really like the, the, the legal counsel would always like just hold his head like, oh, here he goes again. But <laughs> like they were funny, but they were not like your typical suitable for a corporate audience but that was his, you know, his thing. He's just, he's right. a funny guy. And he just let his personality out, you know. And leaders mm-hmm. who get away from that, who think, no, 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 I've got to act like a leader would act. No, you know, don't act like anything. Be who you are. And the more genuine you are and the more authentic you are, the more readily people are going to follow you. Thank you so much for saying that because that is, that is actually one of the things that when I started my own business, I suffered with. I was like, okay, you're a business owner, so you have to act like a business owner. You have to be professional. And yeah, the, more, yeah. the, the more Antonio coached me, the one thing he kept saying to me over and over again, he said, just be yourself. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, I am being myself. And the more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to know what that means until you finally kind of right. get to that breakthrough, though, right? Yeah. Because as a kid, I was told, D, you're goofy. D, you're weird. And when I was a yeah. kid, I remember, I actually remember hearing myself tell people, thank you. But as I yeah. got older, I started pulling away from when somebody, when someone says, ooh, that's weird, I stopped doing it. Or why are you so goofy? I stopped doing it because... In my head, okay, you're getting older now. You're supposed to be responsible. You're an adult now. You're supposed to be responsible. You're not supposed to do these kind of things. Only to find out that the only way that I can be prosperous and successful in my own business is to be weird and be goofy. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Because it makes you feel like you, right? It makes you feel natural. It's not something you've got to remember how to act like. If you act like yourself, you tap into that pure joy of the child inside you, and that becomes infectious. People want to be around people who are, 
you know, splashing in puddles out of pure joy, right? To to go back to like a childlike <laughs> thing. Like they, you want to be around people who lift you up, not those who are toxic. And that's you know, and that's oh. unfortunately, you know, part of part of what a lot of corporate cultures have disintegrated into is this toxicity, um, because they have they've made it taboo to bring out the child in you. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, throw tantrums. That's not the part of the child we're talking about. It's, you exactly. know, it's about no, tapping into that pure joy. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. The creativity, the the mind of a child, the, hey, let's do something. Oh, that doesn't work. Because I, I sit and I watch my five-year-old. If I do not interfere with him, mm. he will literally figure it out on his own. And when I actually paused and paid attention to that, I stopped interfering. So when he comes to me to interfere, I look at him, I'm like, no, you know how to do it. Show mommy you know how to do it. You're a big boy now. And when he does it, he has, he's, look, I did it, mom. And so now he's like, mommy, look, I told you I can do it. I'm a big boy. And (laughs) that, (laughs) it's It's empowerment. Yes, and it, and to be that way as an adult, to have that childlike mentality of, no, we can figure this out. With a child, nothing is impossible. And when you right. still have that mentality as an adult, as a leader, nothing is impossible. And when you portray that to your, to those that you lead, those that you, those that look up to you when they see that to and when they see nothing is impossible, just keep trying, then it puts it onto them as well. And now you have this culture of nothing is impossible. Let's brainstorm on this. And everybody actually has a voice. To me, that's a business that is, that is a work environment that anyone would love to work in. And then you start changing the mindset of those who come from any other kind of work environment into yours. Because first it's going to be, wait a minute, y'all are weird. And then it's going to be, hold on, I kind of <laughs> yeah. like this. And then it's going to be, wait, let, right. me, let me try. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I in exactly it. the same way that you phrased it to your five-year-old, which was not, don't bother mommy with this nonsense. What you said was, you've got this. You can figure it out. And, you know, and leaving, leaving him to tap into his own curiosity and his own creativity to figure it out. And, and, what an amazing result out of that because he ultimately did figure it out in his own way, in his own time, and felt that much more fulfilled by the result. Mm-hmm. So he's he's five, you said, right? Yes, ma'am. How many times a day on average does he ask you why? <laughs> a lot, right? I mean, you stop counting. <laughs> But the reason I ask that question is because it is one of the most powerful words, questions, statements that leaders have in their arsenal that they forget that they have. And it wasn't until you you kind of really brought out this, this conversation about the child that brought that back for me. It's like, you know, as children, as you said, we don't have these preconceived notions. We don't have this... Um, you know, we, we okay, fine. We don't we don't react very well to the word no, but we're we're open minded, we're <laughs> openly curious, right? But we're always asking right. why, and it's you know I I hammer that home to 
to leaders quite a bit um, that the you know why is a very powerful word when you use it as a question to ask your you know your your team and your people, and it's also very powerful as a statement when you tell them why. You know, a lot of a lot of managers make that misstep. They'll just tell somebody this is what I want you to do, but they they skip the part which would take an additional five seconds to tell them why. And if you tell them why and they see a link between, okay, you're not just giving me busy work because, you know, we have to fill the hours, but you're actually giving me something that when I accomplish it will help us move the needle because it contributes to the team effort, well, that becomes a much more powerful task. Definitely. Definitely. And, and the whys never stop. <laughs> so. They, they never do. <laughs> they never do. So, and, and, and I started noticing that every time I answer, every time I answer a why, and it still leaves a question for him. The next question is, but why? And then yeah. the next question is, but why? And once I say, once I actually break it down to a way that he understands it and he's satisfied with it. Okay, mommy, and then he just goes and Aww. plays like we never had this conversation. And I'm sitting yeah, here right. like, you just asked right. me, you just asked me, but why twenty five hundred times, and now you're going to act like the the like conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, you you pass. I'm going to go back to my to my drawing. Exactly. Well, and, it, and it's so funny. So he's he's way ahead of his time because a lot of um, leadership experts say. Uh, not only is why a very powerful question, but there's this there's this uh, school of thought that says you should ask why five times, um, and not just why, but as you kind of peel back the layers and go deeper um, into you know if you're looking for a root cause of a of a problem or you're looking for a solution or some you know new way forward, um, they say if you keep going deeper with each why, by the fifth why you get that okay mommy moment, right? <laughs> it's like, all right, okay, now, wow. you know, now we fully understand. We, we, you know, we've stripped out the layers. Um, you know, it kind of speaks to being transparent as well, right? I mean, you know, there's a, there are a lot of things that leaders, um, you know, can't show their, their people, you know, what's going on behind the curtain. But there are a lot of things right. that they can. And it's certainly around the, you know, the why this decision has been made, why, you know, we had to close down a division, um, you know, why uh, we're, we're going to go in this direction or make this course correction. It, it, it's, I can't emphasize that enough with the leaders that I work with, not to shortcut the why at every stage, wow. um, because it's so important. We need meaning. We don't want to just be told what to do. We want to understand why that matters. Mm. Yes, that makes a lot. Of, yes, yes, it does. And so this leads me to another question. You, when a you were again, you said VP going into an executive level in human resources. How important is it, not only just in the corporate setting, and and you just spoke on it, but I, I would love for you to go into a little bit more detail that you've realized the importance of why when it comes to executives and their mindset and how they lead. Oh, it it, I, it 
I'm stumbling because I can't even emphasize enough how important the why is. So, you know, I, I, I've been talking about the why in terms of, you know, a company's mission. Um, the other, and, and so when I work with leaders and companies, that's the place that we always start. Even if there are certain things that, um, you know, are, are very customized to any company in any situation, which of course they will be, we always start from um, what their mission is because invariably they are not as clear on that mission, that why, that purpose as they think they are. Um, and so we always start from there. But then I, I usually go a level deeper, um, and this, this comes exactly to your question, of, you know, I think a lot of um, leaders also trip over themselves because they don't know why they are in the leadership role they're in. And I don't mean, um, you know, well, the, the HR department needed a, needed a, a, a leader, so that's why that role exists. I, I'm not, you know, that's not, that's not the why that we're after, right? It's why does that need leadership? Why does this role exist? What is its purpose in the grand scheme of collaborating with the whole, right, to make a positive impact on the company? Um, and that is not unique to a person. That is unique to a role. So, you know, leaders really need to give some, some thought to why have I been entrusted with this specific role and what does success in this role look like for the company and for the people that I'm leading? Not for me, right? Um, but, but for those people, what, you know, why, why, does, why does this role matter? in the grand scheme of things, to the company, to the forward momentum, to the goals we're trying to achieve, to the mission. Um, and so it's really important, an executive, you know, by the time you get to an executive chair, you have been a leader on several levels. And, you know, the, the higher up the ladder you go, the less you ask yourself those questions. Um, you know, the less you give yourself time for that self-reflection the less you actually go out to the people that are trying to follow you and ask them if they know where we're headed. Um, you know, and, and so the, the more removed they are from the people who are actually getting the stuff done, um, the, the, the more easily they run the risk that they are forgetting why their position exists in the first place. Wow. wow, thank you so much for breaking that down because I, again, as executives, we don't understand. We don't understand. We don't, when we first yeah. get into it, we only know the model that we've seen from others. We never truly go in there and say, this is my model. This is how we're going to do it because yeah. they didn't break and, down and it, the wise within themselves. Yeah, and it comes back to, um, you know, and you were you were really drilling in on this with your earlier questions. It comes back to that importance of embracing the, the the silence, embracing the quiet, and being intentional about carving out, um, you know, time in your life. Uh, it, it's it's 
it's ambitious to think that especially executive leaders can find time every day, although it's something they should strive for, but intentionally carving out time in your life to reflect, um, you know, to, to, to make sure you're on the right course, to make sure that you are, are leading your people in authentic ways in the right direction, um, to make sure you're making time for yourself to recharge and to re-energize, because you're no good to your people if you're so burnt out that you're just going through the motions, right? Um, and, and, you know, that's the other thing that leaders, leaders by their nature are somewhat egotistical and, you know, to, to some level are narcissistic. Um, we, we could do a whole podcast on the, the toxicity of, of real narcissism, but I, I won't right now. <laughs> but, I mean, by, by their nature, they've got to have some um, ego, right? But they mm-hmm. also have to, um, you know, kind of let in some vulnerability, if only to themselves, and make sure that, um, you know, they're, they're kind of taking care of themselves and re-energizing because they forget, as egotistical as they can be, they forget how much impact their very mood has on the vibe and the culture and the productivity of their team and of, and of the company. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and, and it's and it's just and it's, so ironic, though, right? Because they think, well, right. I'm, I, you know, on, on the one hand, they're egotistical. On the other hand, they don't give themselves enough credit for the for the impact that what they say and how they behave and how they conduct themselves and the mood that they're in. Because you know, they they're humans too. They might have a, a, a fight with their spouse, or they might have a kid who got suspended, or they might have a dog who died. Like you don't know. But we, you know, right. and, and we as people, um, you know, don't always give those authority figures, those leaders, um, you know, the benefit of the doubt that they're humans just like we are. Um, and we think, well, that's why they get paid. They get paid to make those decisions and they get well compensated so we don't have to worry about that. But yeah, you kind of do. So let's cut them a break. But, you know, the, but the leaders have to, you know, remind themselves that they are humans. Exactly. Exactly. I've actually seen Antonio go like, two, three days with no sleep and will go a whole day without eating because he's so drilled in. And we, we as a team, now it's to a point where we eat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We eat. And when we eat, we make sure he eats and how we do. He, he always tells us leaders always go last. So if we're in, so, and that's his way of of also serving us as well. We serve him to make sure that he has food so that he does eat, because if we don't do it, he won't eat. But in the same right. token, he turns around and he's like, you, I'm stopping because you're telling me to, but I'm not going to eat until you take a bite. So we literally all sit there and eat at the same time <laughs> as a team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's, it's so, it's, it's so pretty, important. It is. It is, and it, it's created a bond between us in the office to a point where we now take care of each other. You know, when we, when because of what's currently going on, we we all work remotely. But if at any time we are in the office, it's still in that. It's still that that culture is still there. You know, if we yeah. have a get, if we've had guests come in, the culture is there. You know, we had one of our. Um, team members from India fly in and be with us. He was with us for almost like a month. And that same, we we had that same culture. Then we stopped, we ate together. After we finished eating, we all 
like we all look, started playing with crayons again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and we zoned in. So it, but the as leaders, we do have to understand that our our attitudes, our tones, our energies do affect the entire culture of the company. And then yeah. as yeah, as yeah, and then as followers, we have to we have to understand that. Uh, yeah, they're a person too, so they, you know, be have some, you know, go easy on them, like you said. <laughs> right, right. It's it's and just listening to that, um, the word nourishment comes up for me because it it, it is so true. So many leaders that I know, like this this female CEO that I that I mentioned earlier. If she knows anytime she sees me, the first thing I'm going to ask her is, did you eat today? Because she is notorious for not eating. She works right through. Mm. She's the first one in. She's the last one to leave. And I, I get from a work ethic perspective that you want to lead by example. Um, however, it speaks to, you know, leader, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. When I'm in a zone, I, you know, food is the last thing on my mind because I want to get certain things done. Um, but your mm-hmm. your overall nourishment, right? Making sure that you that you do eat, and that it's not a candy bar and a soda from the vending machine, but you know something a little bit more either substantive or at least healthy. But it goes to the overall nourishment. And as leaders, we we so quickly um, sacrifice that because we want to show that. You know, we work as hard as anybody else, and if nobody else is taking a meal, we're not going to take a meal. Well, that perpetuates, you know, a, a, a cycle and a culture where, um, you know, the, the first one to break and have, and have to, you know, have to eat is is the weakest, and it shouldn't be like that. Look at the look at the community that you're building just through the example that you, um, you know, that you that you use. You know, I think. I think of, you know, when, when we were growing up and I was just kind of like just raised this way, if you host your family or you host anybody over, you're the last one to eat. And I always remember my mom would just insist, no, 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 everybody, you know, you guys eat first and, you know, whatever. And, and then she would just sort of pick over like whatever was left. And it's like, and leaders feel like that too, like they're hosts of a, yeah. of a party or of a banquet. Um, and, I, and I totally get it. Leaders eat last. I totally get that. But leaders need to eat because it's very important to their yeah. physical nourishment. They've got to, you know, intentionally have some, some moments of quiet reflection because that's so important for their mental nourishment, um, you know, and for their, for their brain power as well. You can't be innovative and you can't lead at a very high visionary level if you're drained. You just can't do it. Right. Right. And we, we, we tell Antonio all the time. Uh, he he always tells me, I'm working on the business. And we always tell him, sir, there's not going to be a business if you're not here. We need you to Thank you. Yeah, right. If you starve yourself to death, where are we going to be? That's right. That's right. As, uh, as a colleague of mine says, you can't fill from an empty cup, right? So right. It's, it's great that you want to build up the people around you. But if your cup is empty, you can't do that. So you've got to, you've got to, get right with this notion that you always have to be last. You always have to drain yourself so that others have, you know, uh, can, can, can get their fill. If you have an empty cup, you can't fill others. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ms. Claire, uh, before we, before we close out today, I have 
two more things I want to ask of you. The first one, and you, sure. and I, I always open this up, and I always let our audience know that if they've been actively listening the entire time, you've actually been speaking it the entire time. What has been your secret to success? Um, you know, I would have to say, this is going to sound really hokey, um, it's optimism. You know, it's, huh. and especially right now, I mean, we haven't even mentioned, you know, COVID. And, and when, when this airs, I don't know where we're going to be, but COVID is certainly not going to be completely in our, in our rearview mirror, unfortunately. Um, and not it's so, you know, I, I talk to friends, I talk to colleagues um, who are all over the, the, the spectrum in terms of, um, you know, dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression. Um, even even if it's not, you know, their business folded. Like I, I was just on a, a conversation this morning with a with a dear friend of mine, and you know, he said business is really good, and he said, but you know, I'm still I'm still dealing with the, the depression, the, the the overwhelming weight of what we are going through as a you know as a global community. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's something that we can't lose sight of, but. You know, and, and certainly, um, you know, some of my clients, their business has slowed down. The work we've done together has, you know, shifted from long-term strategy to more short-term, how do we keep the lights on? Um, but I, you know, I really do think the secret to my success is my optimism. It's the reason that, you know, when I was in corporate, I was told my walk was too bouncy. Um, I, I was, just quick quick story on that, I, you know, when I was still, um going through follow-up treatments for cancer. Like I was, you know, going to my doctor every month and getting blood work and, and whatever. And I remember one time I was, you know, on my way to, uh, you know, go into one of the, the booths so they could draw blood or whatever. And another patient in the waiting room stopped me and she said, I just have to tell you, you have the happiest walk. And I said, thank you. Yeah. And it was, you know, I'm, I'm walking toward the back to a phlebotomist that I don't know if they're going to be gentle with the needle. I'm not a fan of needles. I don't know anyone who is. Um, and, and it was just, I, I've always had this bouncy walk. And it's not fake. It's just, um, I, I'm, I'm just an optimistic person. And I think it's one of those things where it's not like, you know, I, I haven't had tough times. I, I mean, yeah, I went through cancer. But, like, you, you have to have optimism because your mindset leads you to your skill set, um, if that makes sense, right? Like if you if you have all the skills in the world, but you have a toxic mindset, you're going to waste those skills. You know, you, know, you can be the, the smartest person in the room, but if your mindset tells you that this meeting is going to go badly or I'm going to fall flat on my face, it doesn't matter how smart you are because that other voice is going to drown it out. So, you know, I my optimism, um, you know, my 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 faith, my, um, you know, just just knowing that where I am is where I'm meant to be and that I'm not, you know, necessarily setting my sights on one specific um, destination, but I'm going to be darn sure to enjoy the journey. There you go. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy somebody stopped you and told you in a place. We always know who's meant to see who we who we genuinely are by those types of comments. Yeah. Right. You went from an environment where they told you 
your bounce is too happy and to tone it down <laughs> and it's too cordial yeah. to a place where someone stops you and says your bounce is so happy because you have no idea what you do to that person on that day. They needed your walk. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. You you know, it, just, just like when you are the parent of children and you, you think they're in the other room but they hear everything, right? You don't, as a leader, as a parent, just as a fellow human being, you never know who's watching, who's paying attention, who's observing. And it, right. it, that's, that's not meant to creep anybody out. It's, it's to say you never know the impact you're going to have on somebody. And it could be years down the line and someone could say, you know, you told me once this or I saw you do that and it really um, – you know, changed me or affected me, and, and you just you just don't know. So just live your life to its fullest and and enjoy the journey. Um, you know, and 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 play with your crayons because that's what life's about. Yes, play with your crayons. You make me want to pull out my coloring book now. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna do it too. I haven't done it. In months, so I think I'm gonna whip that out today. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, Ms. Claire, I have truly enjoyed speaking with you today. Can you please tell our audience how they can connect with you, reach out to you, how they can follow you? Yes, happily. Uh, the, the fastest way, the best way to reach me is on clairechandler.net, um, and there you can see uh, a little bit more about what I'm about. And my, my social media links are there, and, and if you want to reach out and have a conversation with me, um, there are links for you to do that as well. Awesome. Thank you so very much for joining us today, Ms. Claire, on the Secrets of Success podcast. It has been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, please go play with your crayons. I love it. I love it. I've, I've loved the conversation, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm not sure if you already know this, but you're already absolutely perfect. You're already absolutely great. And you're already living in massive abundance. The most important things that you have is not what you have. It's not what you do. It's what you know. Because the people who do know what you need to know to leave the middle class, they're in the top 1%. And they control 96% of the world's income. 97% of this world is trading time for money, and that is not the way to become rich, it's not the way to become wealthy, and it is absolutely not the way to leave the middle class. There are 7.8 billion people in the world right now, and they all wanna learn how to make money and how to leave the middle class. But the way to become a master at anything is to learn all the rules and then bend them to your favor. Right now in this world, there are 2,057 billionaires, right now. So if you think becoming a billionaire is, a, is impossible, that's 2,057 people that have already proved that impossibility incorrect. And if you think that's crazy, there are 46.8 million millionaires in the world, worldwide right now. Now think about that. 46.8 million millionaires, and that number grows 1,730 millionaires every single day. Money is everywhere. You don't need to max out your credit cards. You don't need to borrow from granddad and grandma. Just look behind me. Look at all the wealth sitting behind me in this junkyard. It's insane. 
how much money is everywhere and you don't need to go out there and beg, bar and steal to get it. You just need to know the rules of making money and how to leave the middle class. Essentially, all you need to know is the algorithm of making money, the rules of making money. All you need to know is what to do and how to do it and you can leave the middle class. Any industry, yoga, golf, underwater basket weaving, clipping fingernails, it doesn't matter. All you have to do is know how to do it, how to get it done, and then find somebody to teach you how to do it, how to get it done, and you will be able to leave the middle class. If you're not getting my point, it's real simple. Whatever you have up here, as long as you understand the rules of leaving the middle class, as long as you understand how to get money, you can take what's up here and get wealthy for what you already have. Right now, the very thing you know up here is already being searched a thousand times a second on Google. Someone right now, actually 1,730 people right now, are gonna become a millionaire from the stuff that you have in your head. Why can't this be you? I mean, it's 1,730 people with your ideas that are no better than you, that are gonna leave the middle class, become a millionaire. Why are you not next? So how do we do this? How do we take what you know and apply it to objective money-making secrets and then allow you to leave the middle class? How do we take you from where you are and let you escape to where you wanna go? So how do we make all this money or take all this knowledge from the Warren Buffers, from the Elon Musk, how do we take everything that everyone before you has done and how do we take all of that and then put it in your head so you can leave a legacy for your family? My name is Antonio T. Smith Jr. 32 years ago, I lived in a trash can. That's right, from six to 14, I had no running water, no electricity, no anything, and somehow I'm in the top 1% today not because I had the right background, not because I had a silver spoon in my mouth, simply because being homeless made me learn how to make money. I retired when I was 29 years old. I'm more than likely younger than you. I'm one of the top 1% income earners in one of the richest countries in the world. What I learned how to do when I was six years old was learn how to generate enough money to eat some cookies so I wouldn't die to death from starvation. From there, I learned how to go from cookies to a meal from a meal to clothes, to clothes, to shelter, to everything else that supplied my necessary needs. When I was six, I was forced to learn how to make money, and now that's what I'm gonna do and help you do. I've seen amazing results. I have my own economy, I've homeschooled my own children, and I wrote a book that teaches you every single thing that I know about making money, every single thing that other people know about making money, and most importantly, all the stuff that we don't tell you. Because the truth is, and you know it like I know it, the most honest, the most hardworking, unselfish people on planet Earth live in the middle class. Yet, your honesty, your unselfishness, your devout religion going self is not enough to get to the top 1% and that's not fair. The second half of my life has been not about how much money I make, but how I will be remembered from all the money that I have made. And I've been trying to teach everybody how to get out the middle class. I'm the crazy guy, famous on the internet for trying to create 100,000 millionaires. I've created eight so far. I got a ninth one on the way, all the way from India. That's pretty cool. And what I want to tell you is something very simple. It's been hard. 
It's been absolutely hard to help people leave the middle class, not because of the people, because the system would rather keep you being someone else's money instead of you having your own economy and having the money come find and flow to you. It was frustrating because I knew that anybody can make money. And if you knew what I knew, you would change your life. Over the last few years, I built a large following of over half a million people every month that pay me to actually for me to give them advice. Well, that's been exciting for me. And the cool thing is I've created thousands of six-figure earners. I've created millionaires. I've created people who can live their dreams and hold on to their legacies. And now my eyes are on you to create you to what you need to be great. I have been teaching my principles and these principles to hundreds of thousands of people around the world, every country, all continents, and anyone who has taken them seriously, written them down and applied them, have a 100% success rate of leaving the middle class. I've taught these secrets to my following and my inner network, and I've watched them go from four figures to five figures, five figures to six figures, seven figures all the way to eight. Everything that I've ever learned, everything I've ever learned from millionaire mentors, billionaire mentors, and everything I learned from being homeless, and everything that got me into the top 1%, I have placed inside of a book. To date, it is the longest book that I've ever written, the most best book that I've ever written, and that book is called The Richest Man in the Trash Can, and I'm offering it to you today for free. This book is gonna show you how to become wealthy into the top 1% and leave the middle class. This book is gonna give you a step-by-step -step plan if you're 30 years old, all the way to 70 years old, how to get into the top 1%. If you're a teenager, how to get to the top 1%. If you're a millennial, how to get to the top 1%. It's gonna teach you how to make six figures immediately, teach you how to get to a million dollars immediately, and all that good stuff. Plus, I'm gonna give you the 36 objective laws of leaving the middle class. Plus, I'm gonna give you every last one of my secrets that have made me rich. You have to understand that leaving the middle class is the most important fight that you're gonna have in your life. And to be honest with you, and you can kind of relate to this, it almost takes $450,000 a year just to be broke in America. And that's just in America. If you don't leave the middle class, which is actually an illusion, then you are gonna have a really hard time. Think about it for a second. Some of, most of you are gonna be watching this are gonna be baby boomers, and you've been sold a bad check. They lied to you. Your retirement was not enough for you to live comfortable, and I'm gonna give you this book for free so you can figure out how to triple your retirement and then quadruple your retirement, and then as Grant Cardone would say, 10X your retirement so you can live the life that's worthy of you. I want you to remember that leaving the middle class is the most important battle that you could ever face in your entire life, especially for your family. So consider this video, this book, your friendly tap on the shoulder. I want to send you a free copy of this book because I believe that abundance is your birthright. I believe that abundance is freedom. And I believe that this book is right for you. In fact, I believe in that so much that I will send you the book for free. All you have to do is cover the cost of shipping. I'll eat the cost. I'll take the loss. And all you have to do is get the book and dominate your reality right now and apply the principles so you can be the best person for your life that is yours. Fill out the form sitting right there to the right. Go ahead, dominate your reality. I can't wait to send you my book. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to have you as someone that's been on the journey with me. Antonio T. Smith Jr., you can't plan. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world. 
not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions. $22 an hour. Pay training. And I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, 
you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.